you have your Bibles, please open them up to 1 Timothy chapter 3. Before we begin this morning, would you join me in a word of prayer before we begin our study of God's word? Father in heaven, you who have made our our lips, our mouths, our tongues, would you help my stammering, lisping tongue this morning to draw us deeper into your word, to draw out the truths thereof, and to point the way to Christ. That we may be more satisfied in you, O God, laid low in and of ourselves, and rejoicing in the gift that you have given us in your Son. We pray all this in his name, our Savior Jesus. Amen. Brothers and sisters, church, family, what we are doing this morning is setting aside Aaron for the work of the gospel ministry, and we see that work described in chapter 4 of 1 Timothy, where in verse 14, Paul reminds Timothy that he has been set apart by this, by the laying of the hands upon him by the elders of that church. And they were, in doing so, they were authorizing him for a special service. We are carrying on that faithful pattern this morning. But it is fit for us to ask here at the very beginning what we ought to expect of our pastors, of Aaron, our elders, and It is fit, Aaron, for you once again to return to this and meditate on this passage. Verses 1 to 7 lay out the qualifications for pastors and elders. Paul writes this. This is a faithful saying. If a man desires the position of a bishop, that is an overseer in the church, we, we tend to think of a bishop as someone who wears, who has a special position of a authority, maybe has special vestments that are given to him, but the word here is not indicating a special service. It is, it is a, one of the three qualities that are called, that pastors, elders are called to have. Pastor, elder, and bishop or overseer is the word, administrator. A bishop must, verse 2, a bishop then must be blameless. The husband of one wife, that is a one-woman kind of man, Temperate or self-controlled, sober-minded, of good behavior, hospitable, able to teach, not given to wine, not violent, not greedy for money, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not covetous, not uh, one who rules his own house well, having his children in submission with all reverence. For if a man does not know how to rule his own house, how will he take care of the church of God? He is not to be a novice, lest being puffed up with pride, he fall into the same condemnation as the devil. Moreover, he must have a good testimony among those who are outside, lest he fall into reproach and the snare of the devil. Now, what is remarkable about this list has been said that it is utterly unremarkable. That is, all of these qualities, with the exception of the ability, the aptness to teach, all of them are everywhere else in the New Testament, commanded for all of us. We are all to be living this out, but pastors, church leaders are to be an example so that when you, if you were to double-click on their life, so to speak, 
and bring that out, it would show a, a faithful pattern, not a perfect pattern, but a faithful pattern of Christian living. The Lord isn't interested in how gifted we are. We must never confuse gifting with grace. The Lord doesn't care how cultured, how creative, how charismatic we may be. Although the Lord may use people who are cultured and charismatic and uh, creative, he may use all of them and has used all of them. But the Lord, throughout history, he seems to enjoy using we who are known only for being ordinary. And in using ordinary human beings, he does through us his extraordinary work. This is why Paul commands in verse 16 of chapter 4 that Timothy is to watch his life and doctrine closely. Brother, this morning... I want to encourage you to watch your life and doctrine this morning. In a letter to a newly ordained minister, John Newton once wrote these words, You have known something of Satan's devices while you were in private life. How he has envied your privileges, assaulted your peace, and laid snares for your feet. Though the Lord would not suffer him to hurt you, he has permitted him to sift and tempt and shoot his fiery arrows at you. But you may now expect to hear from Satan and to be beset by his power and subtlety in a different manner. You are now to be placed in the forefront of the battle and to stand, as it were, for his mark so far as he can prevail against you now upon you. And if you take a wrong step or are ensnared into a wrong spirit, you will open the mouths of the adversaries wider and grieve the hearts of believers more sensibly that if the same things had happened to you while you were a layman, that is, not a pastor, the work of the ministry, you would not have had nearly as much of a downfall, caused nearly as much of a downfall of others. He says the work of the ministry is truly honorable, but like the post of battle, it is attended with peculiar dangers. Brother, I want to encourage you this morning to pay attention to your life and doctrine, particularly to your life. There is one quality I want to address, we're going to look at, we're going to depart from my normal pattern where I like to take a single passage of scripture and just kind of dig deep. This morning we're going to look broadly as a church about something that the Lord commands specifically for pastors, but really ultimately for all of us. And so while this is aimed at Aaron, I want you to understand it's, it's not a rifle shot where I am shooting directly at him. It's more like a shotgun blast where it is going to cover and hit all of us. The quality that we see so much affirmed for believers to have is that of humility. Humility. To be honest, this is a quality I feel completely ill-equipped to address. But it is something that I know in my own heart and life how important it is. I, and I have been blessed over the last 10, 15 years to have been helped so much by reading old dead people. 
They, they bring a, a vivaciousness. Can I use that word? A vivaciousness, a life to things that we tend not to focus on. People today, books today, are not arguing so much for the necessity of humility. Not in their leaders, not amongst people in general. Although we all feel the need for more humility in the world. For more humility in ourselves. But I find if you go back centuries, you will find them arguing for the necessity of humility, often church leaders especially. And so I, as we work through scriptures, I'm going to be tapping into them as well. And I'll be quoting some of the, what they have, some of the wisdom they have for us when it comes to humility. Again, John Newton writes this. He says, I am persuaded that love, which Tim addressed earlier, love and humility are the highest attainments in the school of Christ and the brightest evidences that he is our master. And Charles Spurgeon writes this, you are not mature if you have a high esteem of yourself. He who boasts in himself is but a babe in Christ if he is in Christ at all. Young Christians may think much of themselves. Growing Christians think themselves nothing. Mature Christians know that they are less than nothing. The more holy we are, the more we will mourn our spiritual weaknesses. And the humbler is our estimate of ourselves. So let us look this morning at this quality, briefly, of humility. And we see all throughout the New Testament, Old Testament and New Testament, this call upon all of us, this warning for us to to run from, to flee pride, for it is perilous for us. Pride will destroy us. Proverbs 16, 18. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 18, 12. One's pride will bring him low. If humility, brother, is the right estimate of ourselves in light of the transcendent glory of God, then pride is to view ourselves better than what we really are. Our world loves pride. It praises pride. It rewards pride. We celebrate an entire month now dedicated to pride. But we read in James 4, 6 that God opposes the proud. I can't think of anything more terrifying than that, that God opposes the proud. Again, in Isaiah 2.12, For the Lord of hosts has a day against all that is proud and lofty, against all that is lifted up. He will bring low. William Gurnall once wrote in the 17th century, Pride loves to climb up, not as Zacchaeus, to see, that is to see Christ, but to be seen. Brother, we must fight pride and aim for humility. And there are some rich and amazing and glorious promises for us as we fight for humility in this life. Listen to this. Isaiah 57, 15 and 66, 2 say this. This is the one the Lord is speaking. This is the one to whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles at my word. The one that God draws near to are are those who are humble. James 4, 6, God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. 
The reward, Proverbs 22, verse 4, the reward for humility and fear of the Lord is riches and honor and life. Those are some extraordinary promises that we we dare not skip over. Humility before God, before others, is, is a rich virtue that we ought to be pursuing This is the most important quality that we can nurture in ourselves. And brother, it is the most important quality that you will nurture in yourself as a pastor. What fuels, powers humility? The first is, I think, a, a study, a knowledge of God. That is, the more we know him, the more we will see how far short we come in comparison to him. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. I, I love how in Psalm 139, after meditating on the glory of God, on his presence everywhere, the psalmist writes, such knowledge is too wonderful to me. It is high. I, I cannot attain it. Knowing God will drive us down. So study God's will, study his justice, study his love, his compassion, his mercy, his holiness. Study those incommunicable attributes. Study his aseity. That he does not need you. Nothing is more humbling than that. Study his impassibility. The fact that he does not change with the passing years or time. Study his triune glory. A sight of God's glory humbles just as stars vanish as the sun appears. Study the attributes of God and study your heart, brother. Study your heart. It is The scriptures tell us that our heart is deceitful above all things, desperately wicked. We will not know ourselves unless we are able to look on God and we will not be able to appreciate the glory and the mercy of God unless we have a right understanding of ourselves. John Owen once wrote this, there are two things that are suited to humble the souls of men, a due consideration of God and then of ourselves, of God and his greatness, glory, holiness, power, majesty and authority and of ourselves in our mean, abject and sinful condition. Study where you are tempted to pride and self-dependence. Get to know the weaknesses of your heart and soul. Read John Owen's little books, The Mortification of Sin, or Sin and Temptation. When you feel, just as you are starting to get a handle on following Christ, read those books and you'll realize how far short you have to go. In the words of the Apostle Paul, watch your life. The other part is to be gripped by the grace of God in Christ. Once once you have looked to God and you have been driven to your knees as you study yourself, look to Christ Jesus. Do you know why, brothers and sisters, church family, why we talk so much of the riches of Christ at the cross? Do you know why we talk so much of Jesus' finished work? It's because it is the only thing that is, offers up hope for us any day of the week. Brother, you have had 
many gifts of the Lord. One of those is sitting next to you, Amber. You are a rich gift to, to Aaron. Feel free to remind him of that at times. In this church family right here, you are his best gift amongst all of us. Brother, you have a brother and parents who love you, in-laws who care about you. You have others with you that have known you for many of your lives. Some people were, came from like Florida to be here. That's insane. They love you, but the greatest gift of all is the gift of Christ Jesus. While you were still a sinner, Christ died for you. It was while we were undeserving that Christ finished what we had not yet even begun to understood we needed to start. Christ suffered in the place of sinners. And in suffering in our place, he pays for our debt. Brother, study Calvary. Humility grows best in the blood-soaked soil of Calvary. It flourishes under the shade of the cross. Sit there. Rest there. Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote this. There is only one thing I know of that crushes me to the ground and humiliates me to the dust, and that is to look at the Son of God and especially to contemplate the cross. Be gripped by the cross. Also, embrace hardship. Brothers and sisters in Christ, all of us will endure hardship in this life. We are not yet at glory. We have not yet arrived on heaven's bright shores. We have yet to suffer. Part of what we see God doing in our suffering is to help us lean and depend on him more, to humble us. Brother, you will and must endure suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. There will be times where you are led by the Lord into hard circumstances or difficult criticisms, and probably both. Endure it. And though they are painful, though they may come at the hands of others who do not like you, They come only through the hands of the one who loves you. And your hardship, brother. Samuel Rutherford once wrote, Humility is a strange flower. It grows best in winter weather and under storms of affliction. In sending hardship our way, the Lord is trying to teach us to lean hard on him. So what will humility begin to look like in your life? And this can be anticipated and extrapolated in many different ways. This is where I had to start cutting back a lot. Let me give you just a few, brother. First, put yourself under the word of God. Put yourself under the word of God. In your preaching, in your private life, put yourself under the word of God. there There is a view in this world that says amongst Christians that when we read the Bible, we want to say your interpretation is just as good as my interpretation and that all of our interpretations are equally acceptable. That is baloney. That is arrogant. If God has told us something and he has told us something clearly, it is arrogant to say otherwise. Brother, Submit to God's word, even when it will be unpopular. 
The world and Christians may not want to hear always what God's word says, but cling to it. John Newton once wrote that the appearance of an angel from heaven could add nothing to the certainty of the declarations he has already put into our hands. And you and I can add nothing to it. Trust in God's word and humble yourself before it. Also aim for faithfulness. We are tempted these days to want to put, to, to live our lives in such a way that we will leave a mark on the world. To leave a dent in the world, to make a dent in the world. To leave the world a better place. Paul the Apostle, when he is encouraging Christians, he encouraged them to live peaceable and quiet lives. Aim for faithfulness, brother. Aim for faithfulness. Aim at faithfulness and God will honor you. The world may not remember your name, but if we will help others in the world remember the name of Christ, we will have done our duty. Aim at faithfulness. Be gentle and compassionate with the weak, the weary, and the wounded. All of us here are weak in some and many ways. We will need patience one with another. Being weak, we may annoy one another, irritate one another, irritate you. We may, who are weary under hardship and affliction, we may have been turned bitter, we may have been wounded deeply through Suffering, but brother, be gentle. Whether through emails, phone calls, text, be rich in compassion, aim at gentleness, aim at love. John Newton once wrote this, whoever is truly humbled will not be easily angered, nor harsh or critical of others. Isn't that hurt? He will be compassionate and tender to the infirmities of his fellow sinners, knowing that if there is a difference between they and he, it is grace alone which has made it. Be gentle and compassionate with the weak, the weary, and the wounded. Pray, brothers. First Peter, Peter writes this in First Peter 5, verses 6 and 7. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. He connects humility and prayer. But if we are going to humble ourselves under God, that is also going to mean that we are willing to cast our anxieties on him. Pray, brother. Pray. And be patient. You are young. And one of the faults of youth that I know all too well is that we want change quickly. We, we want to see improvement quickly. Improvement in ourselves, improvement in, in whatever we're at, apply our hands to. Brother, be patient. The Lord will do more over the long haul than he will through us in a short period of time. Be patient. Be patient with him. Trust him. Humble yourself before him and wait on his timing. Listen and learn from others. Proverbs 28, 26, whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool. So listen to your wife. 
lest you be that fool. Listen to others in the church family when they tell you something that you may not be seeing yourself. Listen to old voices. Read old books. Read people who've been dead a long time. They'll see things about you that you never saw. Listen and learn from others. Sleep and take time off. This is one area where Aaron has encouraged me. I tend to just want to go and go and go. And so let me turn it, brother. Sleep is one of those areas that when we do it, not just sleeping, but resting and taking time off, it is an expression of our humility before God that there The ministry, the work that we are given to do does not depend on us. It depends on him. We we can only work so hard. We can only make so many phone calls, so many visits, study the word, be in prayer so often. There, There aren't enough hours in the day for the things that people expect of us, for the things that we expect of us. Humility will lead us to turn the phone off, Walk away, go to bed, take a day, take some time, rest, recover. And finally, rest in the justification of Christ. Rest in the justification of Christ. There is a particular challenge that I have noticed in talking with numerous pastors. That we bear this burden of evaluating whether God is pleased with us on the basis of how well things are going in the church, on the basis of how well a message is received, on the basis of how, uh, is the church increasing, is it decreasing? Is the church's spirit good or contentious? And add to these the particular forms of guilt that pastors often struggle with, Never being able, never quick enough to respond to the emails that come in. Missing the phone calls that come in. Not able to make that visit. Not able to spend enough time with everyone. We bear the burdens of our church family and we bear our own burdens as well. And many a man has been crushed under this weight. But brother, let me urge you this morning not to rest in what you can do or might do or have done, but to rest wholly and completely in the finished work of Jesus Christ. Do not, do not try to justify your ministry to yourself, to anyone else, on the basis of what you might be able to accomplish. Let your ministry and yourself be justified solely on the basis of what Christ has done at the cross. That through him, he, God has justified, declared sinners righteous and you being one of them. One day you will stand before God and give an account for how well you have loved this church, shepherded this church, overseen this church, cared for this church. And your hope on that day will not be in yourself. It must be in Jesus alone. 18th century African-American preacher, 
Lemuel Hayes wrote this. He said, I have been examining myself and looking back upon my past life, but I can find nothing in myself and nothing in all my past services to recommend me at the bar of Christ Jesus. Christ is my all. His blood is my only hope of acceptance. As Robert Murray McChaney once wrote, for every look at yourself, take ten looks at Christ. Brother, look to him. Brothers and sisters, look to Christ. Your standing before God this morning does not rest in how religious you are, how good of a person you are, what you have done in your life or might do. It doesn't even rest on what your parents have done or what a religious leader has said about you. It rests solely on the finished work of Jesus, on his finished work, on his shed blood. I would ask, are you trusting in him this morning? Are you resting in that justification? He alone is our hope. He alone is our confidence. Winston Churchill once said about a political opponent that that was a modest little man who has quite a bit to be modest about. You and I, we have a lot to be modest about. Brother, let us aim for humility. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for your work of grace to us. Thank you for your mercy to us. Father, we confess that we are proud, proud in ways that we do not know. We are blind blind to the areas in which we are still driven by pride. Would you, little by little, as our souls and spirits can handle it, would you open our eyes to our pride that we may be humble before you and humbly love and serve one another. I pray this not only for myself and for Aaron, I pray this for each one in our church family. That we would be, as your people, humble, driven to humility, that we may know your grace, which you promise to those who humble themselves before you. It is in Christ's name we pray, our humble Savior. Amen.